So, ten? Can't believe we sat here. <laughs> ten episodes in. Honestly, it is a little bit crazy for us to be sat here saying that we're on episode ten. If I'd have said to you last year, we're going to start the podcast that we've spoke about for so long. Absolutely not, no. You'd have told me to fuck off, wouldn't you? Yeah. But here we uh, are. On a little milestone of ten episodes. Yeah, yeah. Well, you've enjoyed it so far. Some people are, because they keep coming back. Yeah. So we're doing something right. I hope everyone's had a good week. It's been it's been lovely, hasn't it, weather? Yeah, really nice weather here. And our country's slowly coming back out of lockdown. Yeah, things are starting to ease a little bit. So hopefully nice. we're getting back to normal life. We can even go out night fishing, so taking our eldest son, Joey, next fishing week. next week to Peterborough. Yep. Hopefully we get a few bites. It'll be nice. He needs it as well, I think, don't he? Yeah. Been bloody nagging long enough. <laughs> Any feedback from episode nine? We've had, it's always the same. Enjoy it. Well done. People have always commented that we seem to have done as research. Yeah. Which, <laughs> if they saw behind the scenes and saw <laughs> how long we sat. Yeah, so another good point is, I think on episode one, mm. we mentioned that it was... Originally, we was going to do an episode of Fortnite, um, but through lockdown, it just made more sense to do. It gave us something to do, didn't it? Yeah, one episode a week. So, after this episode... Are we going back to... We are going back to Fortnite episodes. Obviously, if a lot of people are, you know, kicking us inboxes down and saying, no, you need to do it every week... We'll try. Then we'll try as best, but we do put a lot of effort into it, and we do put us hours in for research. Yeah, and we've... Three kids going back to school. Yeah. I'm obviously working anyway. Yeah. Things opening back up to normal. It, we, we're not just sat in lockdown no. in house. So we don't want it to become a chore, do we? No. We enjoy doing this. No, we enjoy doing it, yeah. So we don't want it to start stressing us and, and feeling like we're not doing it on time. And So, yeah, two weekly. So we'll go to fortnightly now. So as next episode, we'll be out in... Two weeks. Two weeks, so... You'll maybe hear this on the Sunday, yeah. which will be the 4th. Yep. So as next episode will be the 18th. There we go. Anybody been watching out good? We've got a circle, love circle. Yeah. What did we watch other day? Oh, we watched a murder thing, didn't we? Yeah. Ooh. Oh, man. What was it? Wasn't it the young girl who were getting stalked? Yes, it was. It was. She'd um, been to police and she even were charged with wasting police time. Yeah. Oh, bloody hell, what were it, it called? It was called Murder in Slow Motion. Yes, it was, you're right. Give it a watch. That, yeah. were, that were good ones, Yeah, it? I think that were on uh, Sky Documentaries. I forgot we'd have watched that. Yeah. So, hopefully you've heard enough from us now and you want to get to know what cases we've got for you. So, Carla's first this week. I am. Now, the case I've done... It's quite a publicised one. It's pre- I thought it was pretty well known, but actually after asking you and Lee, neither of you had heard no. of it, so that's how well known it is. 
But I'm going to tell you about the case of Johnny Kosh. Johnny was a 12-year-old boy from Iowa who just vanished, went missing. Now, like we've just been talking about as research, and we put time and effort into it, this case has probably been one of the most mind-blowing in terms of research that I've, I've done. What, with the, like, there being a lot? A lot of he said, she said, but then going off official police records, you don't know what to believe, there are things missing, there is a whole lot of corruption going on Right. that we will go into. There's so many theories about what happened to Johnny, so it'd be very interesting to see your thoughts right. and what others think once they've heard it. Is it possible that after all this time, you know, it could still be out there and alive? You're going to have to make your mind up. Give me all the information. Right, so talking of information, like I said, the police records are so sketchy. It is the worst I've seen. We've done enough cases where we see shoddy police work, but this has got to be the worst I've dealt with. So what I'm going to use is is mum's documentation and all the public interviews, the things that are out there that you can watch. Okay, so Johnny was one of three children. He was the son to Noreen and John. Noreen already had two previous children to her first marriage, and then they had Johnny when she remarried to John. According to Noreen, the whole story started on the 3rd of September, 1982. But when looking, official reports, completely skip over this bit which no idea why so the family were at a high school football game one of the eldest boys were playing so parents and johnny were there to watch him and they were sat in the stands and johnny basically said can i go get some popcorn yeah you can give him some money and off he went a little while later he'd not come back so john went looking for him he found him stood near the popcorn stand talking to a police officer they looked really deep in conversation, um, but that's where he'd been, talking to this, this copper. No one actually knows what was said, because no one thought to ask. So they go back to the stand, to where his mum is, and his dad says, if you don't want to sit with us, please just stand at that fence where we can see you. Right. And that's what he did for a, for a while. And then when they looked again, he'd gone again. So again, his dad went to have a look for him, but they actually found him. Now, this part reminds me of the scene from it they found johnny underneath the stands oh. can you you know what scene i mean yeah obviously it's very dark under there but he stood with the same police officer under the stands in the dark again having a full-blown conversation who's this fucking copper <laughs> right because i'd be i'd be fucking saying <laughs> what are you doing why are you speaking to my child well this without is, me twice this is why noreen thinks that this could have started on this particular day because she found it extremely strange that this police officer sort of seeked out Johnny out of everybody that were there. The fact that there were it under these stands in dark still having this conversation, she thought it was strange. Well, he sounds like a nonce. <laughs> everybody sounds like a nonce to you, so that's all right. So anyway, as they were leaving, Johnny points out this police officer and says to his mum and dad that he were really, really nice and actually that... He thought he wanted to be a police officer when he were older. And again, like I've just said, his mum thought this was really strange behaviour for a copper. The next day, 
Johnny's elder siblings came in from town. So all the family were together, which was a really rare sort of occasion for them. So they had this nice family tea and then Johnny was going up to bed. Now, Johnny had a little job as a paper boy. He had his little route, route, route. I did and I got fired from it. Right. That's because you did a shit job. <laughs> and did you not run up your tab far more than your wage covered anyway? Yeah. Right, so that's why you owed him more than you were working. So, Johnny, were a paper boy. Now, before he went to bed that night, he'd asked his mum and dad if he could go out and do the paper round on his own that morning, which was strange because he always his dad always went with him. He was only 12. Yeah. So, you know, that kind of age where you start to give him a bit of trust, but not too much. His dad actually was like, yeah, that's fine for me. But it was his mum that were like, no, I really want your dad to still go with you. You go out early, you're going to be on your own. Now, it was a really common job within this little area. There were loads of teenage boys that were paper boys. What year is this? 1982. So of papers were massive. Yeah. They got thrown on your lawn. Of the war, yeah. yeah. Right. Um, now, each individual paper had their own set of paper boys. Yeah. So it weren't like our corner shop. You go and just do every single paper. It was Each individual paper had their own paper boys. So there were lots of them. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to say. Now, Johnny went up to bed and he said that were fine. He'd wake his dad up. But then Noreen says this bit were really strange for her because it were really out of character and she'll never forget it. But Johnny came back down from bed and he went to his mum and he said, Mum, I will always love you and you are the best. He smiled at her and went to bed. She said, looking back, like, at that time, I thought, oh, this is a bit loving of him. Yeah, just a nice, sweet thing that you... It was still a bit out of character for him, but... She didn't think it was anything major. Yeah. So off he went back to bed. And that was last time that she actually saw him. And that night, there were, well, early hours that morning, they were woken by a phone call at 1.30am. John got up and answered. And when he put the phone down, he just said to Nari, Nari, wrong number. How sad is it that the last time she spoke to her child, he told, he told her how much he loved, loved her. Him. I know. It's awful, isn't it? Yeah. And honestly, everything that I'm saying here is a bit like you can go and do a Google, a YouTube. There are so many interviews. And his mum, that poor woman, I'll, you can look for yourself. Um, so John had answered and he said it were a wrong number. Now, this apparently had been happening for quite a few weeks leading up to this. Every Sunday they got this same phone call, Sunday evening. And it had wake them up and it were always wrong number. Um, anyway, they went back to sleep. But then the next morning, they've got loads of phone calls coming in asking where the newspaper were. So she kind of got a bit pissed off and assumed that Johnny had slept in. Yeah. She went to his bedroom. Brew weren't there. Now, Johnny used a little... I'm going to call it a Dennis the Menace cart. Do you know what I mean? The little trailer he pulled. He used one of those, put all his papers in it, mm-hmm. and he'd drag it along with him. Um, that one missing, and so were the dog. He always took the dog on the paper round with him. What were a dog called? Do you know what? I can't remember. I, I just always ask that question. I know, I can't. When people tell me about a dog, I'm always, what's it called? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's just Sorry. me. That's just me being me. Um, so anyway, his wagging, the dog, were gone. So John said, he's probably running late. I'm going to go out and look for him and I'll help him catch up. You met breakfast, carry on doing what they were doing and we'll go to the lake later as planned because they planned this big family day at a lake. So, by now, this is the 5th of September, so two days after the football game. His dad went out to have a look, but he never found him. He came back to house, 
and apparently he was frantic, he was screaming that he's gone because when he has gone out and looked, he's found Johnny's wagon, mm-hmm. cat, whatever, as well as the dog. Right. But no Johnny anywhere. His dog got <clears throat> Dog's absolutely fine. Um, it was just basically tight at wagging how Johnny used to do it every day, every paper yeah. round apparently, and it was just sat there tight at wagging, wagging full of papers, but no Johnny. So he told Noreen to ring place as you would, and th- at this point they were still getting shitloads of phone calls about the paper. So John decided, I'll go finish his paper round really quickly. You contact police and let him know what's happened. So Noreen waited for police, and actually, can you believe? The police station was only 10 blocks away from their house and it still took them 45 minutes to turn up to a report of a missing 12-year-old. In the meantime, while she were waiting... Did they crawl? <laughs> they just didn't give a fuck. That'll come apparent. She then decided to start ringing around some of the other boys' parents who do the paper round to see if anybody saw him. So all the information I'm going to tell you now is statements from the child, the other boys and also a few adults yeah. that were there. So, like I said, there were a few boys on this round and a few had said that they saw Johnny. The first witness statement says that Johnny left the house at 5.45am because the neighbour in his statement said he can remember hearing his wagon being pulled through the backyard. Yeah. And that were at 5.45. Then another neighbour, he was outside picking his paper up off grass and he noticed that a car had stopped and were talking to Johnny, like Johnny briefly spoke to him. All other boys that morning also saw this said car, and it was described as a blue-tone, two-door Ford Fairmount. Right. So, all other witnesses had seen this car. Um, This car had pulled up, apparently, to ask Johnny for directions, but he didn't answer, and he carried on walking up to, like, a stop sign. Apparently, the neighbour, Mike said the driver looked not pissed, but sort of probably high. Right. Right. A bit sketchy. Yeah. And then another parent comes into this called John Rossi. He gave a statement because he'd gone to pick the papers up from the corner for his children to deliver. He spoke to the man in the car and this is what he said. I was there that morning. Johnny was loading his wagon with his dog. There were two or three other paper boys doing the same. There was a car on the 42nd Street and there was a guy in there. He was talking to Johnny, but Johnny shouted to me, hey, can you come here and help this man, please? As I started walking to the man, he made a U-turn and just drove off. So, according to other boys, Johnny actually said that he thought that the man in the car were weird and he were a little bit scared, so he were going to head back home. So that were it. He, He walked away. The boys at that point said as Johnny left, the car, like, backed up to where Johnny was, then drove away and it parked up and it sat and waited until the grown-up that were collecting his papers. Once he'd disappeared, apparently this man in his car just sat flashing his lights to these paper boys. And then another boy does a witness statement and he says that he saw a man walk out from between two houses in dark, because it would it were early morning, don't forget. Yeah. And he sort of followed Johnny. Now once they'd got out of sight, he said he couldn't see them, but all he heard was the dog growling, and then that were it. So then we go on to the next two people to see Johnny, and they were brothers that were also paper boys. They said as they were walking up the street to collect the papers, Johnny was sort of stumped over, like slumped over his wagon. Um, they shouted, hey, hey, Johnny, he replied. They said 
they thought it looked like they assumed he'd dropped some papers, so he was like slumped over picking them up, putting yeah. them back in. He replied, and then off the when they said they were also running late, so it were a quick hey up, hey up, yeah, see you later. So they carried on. Just timings comes in the next neighbour, which coincides with the two brothers, and literally a few seconds after the boys stated they walked away, this neighbour reports hearing a car door slam really loudly and it was that loud that he actually sat up in bed and looked out at window and he he saw a silver and black ford fair mount start up and drive away quite fast which two-tone yeah could they be mistaken you know it was someone said it was blue yeah but they said two-tone didn't they yeah so silver and blue is two-tone well yes yeah so he said he drove away really fast and he even went through a stop sign didn't stop, just went straight through and turned right. Now, the place in which he says this happened was the exact same place the two boys said Johnny was last seen. With his papers. With his papers and where his cart were found, wagging, whatever it was called. So, like I said at the beginning, probably the worst case I've looked at in terms of police reporting, official reports, it's completely fucking shocking. In fact, die fucking bollocal. They... Had zero interest in helping find Johnny whatsoever. There is missing paperwork. There's holes in stories. There's just shit loads of inconsistencies. Yeah. It's not even funny. And this is a child's life. Yeah. Now, going going forward, right, remember when this was. This was in 1982. So... At that time, the laws were completely different. For the police to be able to do anything for a missing person, they had to wait 72 hours. 72? Regardless of whether you were a child, an adult, it was 72 hours. So that's what they basically stuck at. Noreen was the one that actually collected all the witness statements to start with. His own mother? His own mother herself because the police told her we can't do it for 72 hours so she took it upon herself to go get all these statements ask everybody to write it down because the longer it were left the more they'd forget yeah totally agree with her so captain bob rushing who was part of the whole investigation at that time basically said there were no crime scene nobody saw anything that to us was an explanation for the boy's disappearance he has just disappeared like people that, just disappear. That's it. He's disappeared. That's it. So what Noreen actually said was the most annoying part of it. The police officer just kept repeating, are you sure he ain't run away? Are you sure he ain't just run away? Are you sure he ain't just a runaway child? And every single bit of paperwork I've read, every single person disagrees with him running away. Apparently, you know, this is a small knit community. People know each other. They go for dinner with each other and every single person said he would never have just run away it didn't make sense you know he went out he took his dog he took the wagon he would go he collected his papers it weren't family life yeah there were no sort of background in terms of bad upbringing anything like that really really well-grounded family from what i've watched and seen so to me the whole him running away it's just bullshit. It doesn't make no sense yeah. at all. Now, I can I, I 100% understand why a lot, of, a lot of the things I've read on this, 
so many people believe that this was such a massive corruption within the police department. I haven't got time to go into it all, but honestly, if you get a chance to look at it, or anybody that's listening wants to have a look, you probably won't find much worse sort of cover-up and, and shit. And I think that's why I felt that's why they pushed the running away theory yeah. as much as they did in the beginning. So the police ended up turning up, like I said, 45 minutes after. Um, they left and the, then, the parents then didn't hear from the police again for eight hours. So... What, what were they doing in that time? Three fuck knows. At three thirty p.m. that afternoon, because don't forget this happened in the morning. Yeah. Early, early morning. Um, the police actually come back. They ask a few questions and then ask if they can have a picture of Johnny, and then they leave. So, <laughs> Noreen decides again to start ringing these boys' parents and actually find out if the police have actually been over and seen and him. seen them. Now, they said yeah, they've been, but they didn't even bring a piece of paper with them. There were no... They didn't record anything. They didn't take any statements down. They didn't do fuck all. Nice. Right? So, it boggles... It it boggles my mind. The police chief at the time, as well, were called Oval Coney. And he even said to the parents, stay at home, do not talk to anyone, stay quiet. They wouldn't even encourage them to go out and search for their own son. They were trying to keep him at home. Which, that's not going to happen, is it? No. Now... All the interviews that I've watched and, and read, it made me so angry just how little fucks the police... Because our son is a year older than this boy. And to think that we... if To be treat the way they were... Yeah. It's, it's so fucking awful. Yeah. I can't... It just made me really, really angry. So they were told not to join any searchers. And Noreen and John actually went against everything... And they had the whole backing of their community. They set up all these searches themselves. Good. Um, went out, tried to get any sort of information, looked anywhere they could think. They were out on a search once, and actually one of the coppers from the time turned up, pissed, climbed on a pl- on a bench, and screamed at everybody to disperse and go home because this is just another runaway boy, right? This is in the middle of a park. You're a police officer, and you're pissed. Fuck it. Again, I'm not going to go too deep into it. What an embarrassment. Yeah, but so many of the officers involved in this case had so many charges against them. (laughs) (laughs) Charges that you'd have been out on your arse. You you look at it and you're like, why why are you a fucking copper? Honestly, right. So you can get the gist of what sort of department this this police department was. It were a complete shit show. So, as it stands, the family are basically left to search for him on their own with very, very little help or support from, from any at police. Um, Noreen just didn't stop. She was like, that's my son. I'm fucking searching. I'm looking. And that's it. Now, eventually, the media let her do a TV appeal. But what that actually did what caused so much shit for her family. There are people driving by the house screaming stuff like, I hope your son's found dead and cut up. Fucking uh, Awful things. Apparently people were saying that she had it two together. Um, how can a, m- a mum be that strong? And in all her interviews, she does come across as strong, but she's fucking breaking inside. You can see it. You can clearly see it. Right. Um, 
And she got so much shit. And actually, the FBI at one point publicly called Noreen and John loons. The, the son... How can there be loons for trying to find the missing child? I've no idea. But as time went on, basically days turned into weeks, then months, then years. And literally, very little was found. But what I will do is go and give you a little bit of information that might help you make some sort of idea of what you think could have happened. So I'm going to go back to... I'm going to go, sorry, to 1984. Another boy called Eugene then went missing. Again, same as Johnny, 12-year-old, paper boy, same area. Now, both sets of parents believe that it's the same people, same person, whatever, whoever took Johnny, they believe took Eugene. Now, I know this is an American thing, but... They used to put pictures of missing people on milk cartons, didn't they? Yeah. Now, that all started from Johnny and Eugene. Right. They were the first two boys to be printed. A little bit of info for you there. And Noreen actually created um, the Johnny Gosh Bill, which she actually changed the law around how the enforcement agencies have to um, immediately act if a child goes missing. So instead of the 72 hours, it's because of her that it's been... Thank God. ...scrapped. 100%. 100%. percent ridiculous. Oh, yeah. It came into... That bill came into play in 1985. So, the same year, 1985, a dollar bill starts circulating and gets taken to the police. Because on this dollar bill is written, I am alive, Johnny Gosh. It was never traced. It was never confirmed. A lot of people think it was some sort of sick joke. Some people think it might have been real. Right. We'll never know. Yeah. Would it be possible... Who knows? Then in 1986, so a year later, another paper boy goes missing called Mark Allen. Again, same area, same paper boy doing his round, went missing. Now I'm going to fast forward to 1988. Right. Are you still with me? Yeah. Right, so in 1988, they receive a letter that Noreen genuinely believes is from Johnny. Right. And this letter says it's Johnny... I've been kidnapped and forced to do some awful things. My kidnappers have dyed my hair and given me a new name. And then he signed the letter, Your Son Johnny. Don't know whether I think it is or in. But his mother thinks. His mother believes so. Now, this bit is probably the craziest part and what sort of solidifies my thoughts. Right. So I'm going to take you to 1991. A gentleman called Paul Benico, Benico, I hope I've pronounced that right, um, comes forward and he says that he was in the car that took Johnny all those years ago. He says he was part of this group and he was forced to help with the kidnapping. Right. So, a bit of info. This guy, from a very, very young age, was made part of a massive sexual exploitation gang. Right. Right. He was only six. Fucking hell. He was also a victim of a child prostitution... A child prostitution ring in Nebraska. Right. So, this gentleman, you know, has had some serious fucking... some shit. ...trauma. He was actually diagnosed with personality disorder, which, if anyone knows, it's actually caused by trauma in childhood. And I think it's fucking safe to say... This poor guy suffered. Yeah. Massively. Yeah. Now, again, 
all these interviews are all online for anybody to go watch go see you can make your mind up for yourself what you think but he openly admits that he was told to hold the rag over Johnny's face until he passed out and he will pass this rag with chloroform. Yeah. That's what he did. I don't understand why anyone would want to admit to something if they genuinely weren't involved. I don't get it. But it happens. It does. Yeah. It does. But to, I, I don't know. I, but I've watched the interviews, so that's probably my mind. That's why my mind is it is. But I find it really strange that someone would want to hold their hands up to being involved in something that if they really weren't. Now, this guy provided the, the police with a map that he drew, and he said that it's the map that the kidnappers drew, the gang. And if you all... Like, I, there's comparisons online again. The map, compared to every single witness statement, matches up to a fucking T. Right. Where is marked X is the exact location where Johnny's wagon were found. Yeah where he was last seen. Honestly, it, there's a, you can again, you can see them online. It just matches up to a T. He even gives the police names and locations of others involved in this thing. Now, the police didn't want to know. They completely wrote it all off. Did not use any of it. He's got personality disorder. Yeah, but... We don't believe you him. You need to fucking investigate it. Honestly, they did not give a fuck, right? Unbelievable. We know what these paedophile rings can be like. We've watched enough stuff. We've seen the corruption. And I don't just mean Joe Bloggs down the street. I help people. You know, it happens. Now, out of everything he said, like I said, the map were quite interesting for me because it matches to a T. But what stood out were some of the details that this guy knew about Johnny that had never been said in public. Like, there's nothing out there it were never mentioned in tv interviews it wasn't put out in the media there were nothing so how did he know exactly so he knew that johnny had a scar on his leg that were never put out there in public bearing in mind there were very little put out in public to start with because the police weren't interested in helping they didn't do no big media launch they didn't have his plate face plastered everywhere mm. so there were very little put out about him they did fuck all yeah so this guy knew about this scar on his leg. He knew that he had a burn mark on his tongue, which were a permanent burn mark that he'd had for many, many years, apparently. And he also knew that when he was scared or nervous, he stuttered. So how the fuck would he know these things if he had not been around this child? Exactly. He wouldn't, would he? But they still didn't do anything. But the... St the, the whether they thought it wasn't real or not, they should still investigate. Hmm. Now... In my opinion. 100%. Noreen has made it extremely clear that she believes Paul. 100% she believes this guy. And I kind of... I, I, I've got a... I'm behind her, I, I'm saying. What's ironic is, fast-forwarding to 2013, this ring, these names that... Paul had give them back in 91 actually in 2013 they made an absolute massive paedophile ring bust and the FBI rescued 105 ch five children from them people that he told them about in 91 go fucking figure yeah go fucking figure so in 1992 
America's Most Wanted sort got involved in Johnny's case because they'd heard about the Paul thing, they'd heard that the police really didn't want to help, so they sort of wanted to go back through and, and see if they could help. Now, they went and met with Paul and he took them to a location in Colorado, a house, which he said that that's where they were, they were held, yeah. they were kept captive, kept captive. When they actually got in the house, there was this big dugout underground thing and you could see where people had been tied up. In all the wooden beams were initials row. They alerted the police and guess what? They didn't even go look at said house. They didn't go look at this fucking dugout underground cellar that had been handmade. They did fuck all. Absolutely, absolutely fuck all. They really didn't give. A, they did not give a shit. Didn't someone take them to court after all this? Right. So this part is proper fucking crazy, and people are split down the middle again. Maybe because me and you were well, we like to pride ourselves on being honest people. I don't understand why anyone would say something had happened if it hadn't, and mm. I know it does. But I think there's a difference in saying it and then there's a difference in saying it under oath. And giving you all information yeah. that's not available. Yeah. So what I'm about to tell you, for me, is the strangest part of all this. In 1997, Noreen claims that Johnny came to see her. He came home and he came to see her, right? Right. So she says that there was this persistent knock on the door. She went... And as she could see through, she saw a young man standing there. As soon as she saw his eyes, she knew it was Johnny. She said, the eyes never change. His hair can change, his face can change, but his eyes will never change. That was my son. Because people tried to say, as someone tried to play an horrible prank on you. Yeah. Which, you know, I'd fucking, I'd, I'd not like to think there were people like that, but the fucking is. Yeah. Uh, but she's adamant that this young man stood there was her son. Um, so she opened the door and he said to her, it's me, Mum. Now, again, I don't know why she'd make this up. She swore under oath when she was testifying for something else, this happened. Because she was asked, have you seen, seen Johnny since he was taken? And she said, I was under oath, I could not lie about it. Apparently she'd kept it to herself. There were family that knew, but she didn't inform the police or the public because she genuinely thought people would think she was fucking crazy. But she said, I were under oath, I couldn't lie. Right. Right, so she opened the door and he said, it's me, Mum. She basically said to him, please let me get you some help. But he just got really upset and he said to her, they will kill me if they even know I've been here. Now, apparently it was with another young uh, man, but he never, like, introduced him. He didn't tell her a name or anything. Apparently, he just said to her about this trafficking kids out of the country. This is what this gang's doing. He said he had to go, and that were it. He turned round and left. She's not seen him again. Bloody it. That must have took some strength to see your kid, and then your kid saying... I mean, so they're walking I, away. I, I can't stay. If, if I don't go, they're going to kill me. Now, don't forget, he was 12 when he was taken, so when he turned up at her door, he was 36. Yeah. He were a grown adult. Bloody hell. So... I'm going to jump again, and we jump into 2006, and it's August. Not going to bring in every single name, because we do not have time. I would be here all fucking episode, <laughs> because there is so fucking much to it. 
But again, go have a look. It's all easily accessible. Yeah. In 2006, Noreen then received a bunch of photographs of boys who are all bound and gagged and tied up. And again, these photos are on Google. You can have a look yourself. Fuck yeah, I don't want to. Um, I've seen them. Noreen 100% believes that Johnny is in them pictures. Now, bearing in mind, I only know what this child looks like from pictures that's on the internet of him. I, I've i looked at them and I think I would know which one it would be. Right. So whether that's me just looking too much into it and hoping it is, I don't know. It's just your opinion, babe. I know, but it happens, doesn't it? <clears throat> he's, like, he's been missing 35 years and Noreen, even still now, is 100% that Johnny is alive. He's out there. Wow. In his alive. Now, that must be fucking heartbreaking. Absolutely heartbreaking. So, like I said at the beginning, there are so many theories on this. And so far, I've not given you one yet because people can make up their own. But what I do want to do is I want to just give you this theory because this is one that I heard and my first reaction was, fuck off. But after looking into said theory, there's room for doubt, let's say. So, Jeff Gannon, not sure if you're aware of him, but he... I didn't know who he was, so I'm saying it like I fucking knew. I didn't. But he was um, basically a big press guy that went and lived in the White House at the time that the Bushes were in there. Okay. And he basically did admin. Now, it was really kind of strange where this Jeff appeared from. He had no journalistic background, no experience in journalism... He had never worked in admin before. There were no but yeah, reason. He works in the White House. Exactly. So there's no experience to build up to being Fuck put yeah. in White House. I could get a job at Queen's fucking Buckingham <laughs> Palace then. Phil, I don't think they'll allow your language somehow. Um, so he just basically come out of nowhere and he just he turned out to be this press person that were that were living in White House and reporting on White House and. These were a massive thing because there's actually interviews of people... Shit, I've just knocked chuffing drink over. There's actually interviews of people questioning sort of where you come from, where, where you popped up from, where, how you managed to get here sort of thing. Right, so there's actually an interview on YouTube of him being questioned about how he got to work in White House and... Yeah. where he came from and so it obviously w- became a big thing for him oh it was to- being questioned on tv shows and yeah. stuff yeah yeah like it weren't just that some joe blogs had got this job it turned into like a massive a massive thing now i've looked at this guy and i've watched the interview of him speaking from pictures i've seen of johnny before he went missing it's sort of the lip area johnny's lips it's in a funny way and this Jeff guy, is it's the same. Now, I don't know. Nobody actually knows. It's been questioned, Do you? will you provide a DNA test? Um, no, this is how big it is. Like, Noreen has even publicly said, Devasta, do you think that Jeff could be Johnny under a new identity? Yeah. And basically the idea is, the theory, sorry, is he's part of this paedophile ring. He was taken, he's been groomed, he's now 
part of this. Yeah. He's been put into the White House because we know officials get involved in this stuff. There's very high up end people. Allegedly. Allegedly, sorry. Don't get <laughs> don't get yourself shot, Carla. But that's where the fear is coming from. Yeah. Now, the vast Noreen outright, do you think that th- this could be Johnny? And she's basically said, I would love for him to do a DNA test. Just yeah. so you know, no DNA test has ever been done. Mm. Even though on a separate interview, Jeff was asked this direct question by a lawyer, sat on this TV show. She said, I, as a lawyer, can sort this out here and now. Will you do it? And he replies, of course I will. But I don't think I need to because there's enough proof out there that I aren't who you're saying I am. But he still didn't do one. Which I find very fucking strange. Very strange indeed. If you have got nothing to hide... You'd be like, take it. Take it, mate. Have me blood. Mm. Don't give a shit. Now, that's sort of where it ends, unfortunately. There has never been any leads. There's never been any evidence to suggest Johnny's dead. A body. Nothing. I would 100% urge anybody to go look at the Johnny Nosh story because there are so many missing bits there are so many corruption that there's so much corruption that you probably won't believe even could happen yeah ac12 would have a fucking field day let me say that (laughs) because our steve won't be putting up with that not a chance i just so everyone knows that's line of duty oh yeah well, I hope they know what line of duty is. Yeah, but is. we're talking to people in other, other countries, aren't we? So Yep, line of duty. So, after everything I've looked at and read, personally, I think he's alive. Personally, I think he has got that far deep. Into a There's no getting out. Ring. It's not safe for him to get out. His family wouldn't be safe for him yeah. to get out. And I truly believe that he's still out there alive. Somewhere. Wow. So yeah, that that's it. That's my case for our tenth episode. Yeah, like a really, really. I'm hoping I've delivered it all right because there were a lot of backing and forward and to and fro. I think you delivered it perfect. Good. There's so much out there to honestly. I only gave you that one theory about Jeff. There are so many theories out there. I just wanted to say, my name is Jeff. <laughs> I'm surprised you, you don't usually hold back. So I'll start mine. Yeah. Mine was... Um, Yours was a request. Mine was a request from one of our uh, listeners who likes us. <laughs> she lives in Canada. So She's Charmaine, I think that's how you pronounce it. Charmaine, this is for you, love. It I is. Hope, I hope you enjoy it. This one is called Carl Pansram. Okay. Now, I have heard of him. I know about the story. I've not. But Charmaine wanted me to do it. She didn't know much about it and she requested it, so... Here you are. Here I am. So, Mr. Carl Panzram. He was born June 28th, 1891. Yeah. On a farm near Warham, Minnesota. He had five siblings. His father, Johan, and his mother, Lizzie. His father left the family when Carl was seven. It's documented that at eight years old, Carl was actually arrested for drunk and disorderly. He'd committed burglaries in the area. He'd uh, robbed his neighbour's house, solar revolver. His brothers found out and they braided him. 
Nice. So, 1903, aged 11, he was arrested for the break-in and was sent to Minnesota State Training School. He was beaten and sexually abused there. We skipped to July 7th, 1905. He built a firebomb. And he set fire to the school warehouse. Burnt it to the ground. Fucking hell. Which uh, apparently, back then it cost a nearly 100,000. And that was a lot of money fucking back then. Yeah. He got released beginning of 1906, convinced staff members it it reformed. What, in a year? <laughs> he burned the skull to a ground, yeah. to the ground in a, a year before and yeah. he convinced him... But we're around. talking 1900s here. Yeah, yeah. And he got returned to his mother. Convi- convinced his mother he wanted to be a priest. He, he Is because he'd been reformed at school? Yeah. He had a run-in where he threatened a teacher with a gun and was expelled. <laughs> Two weeks later, he jumps on a train and he becomes a drifter. Right. According to Carl Panzram, in this time, he was gang-raped by four homeless people. So, he's not had a very nice... No, not at all. ...beginning to life. Um, and he's also a naughty little bastard. On top of all that. He was sent to another reform school, so they obviously got hold of him again, uh, for burglary. He escaped with another <laughs> inmate. I'm sorry, but this kid, right, he's fucking relentless, isn't he? Relentless. He escaped from this uh, reform school with another inmate called Jimmy Benson. They ran around, tearing shit up, more robberies, more arson, robbing and burning down churches. Then, Carl Panzram joins the US Army. That's he, just a recipe for fucking disaster. He don't get much better in army. I've actually wrote... Not in army. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what you know say? <laughs> and okay. he ended up getting sentenced to three years for insubordination and minor offences. Okay. So after finishing his sentence with army, he spent the next few years drifting about again, more burglary, more arson, but then he took up to raping young men. Don't surprise me. He travelled all over Kansas, Texas, Oregon... California, Washington, Idaho, Utah. He was found guilty on many of these crimes and spent time in prison under a lot of different names. Okay. Now, we're talking about the 1920s. So yeah, there's he, no he, records, he, he, there's no there's, database. There's quite a few names that he used. Right. After incarceration, he escaped from prison in Oregon. <laughs> it's it, a right fucking escape party. I know. He went to New York and joined a union and he ended up getting a seaman's ID card. He got a job on the James S. Whitney and travelled to Panama. Right. He planned to steal a boat himself with help from a sailor. But this sailor... <laughs> this sailor got drunk and killed everyone on boat apart what from... The fuck? Apart from him and Carl Panzram, allegedly. Just... Were it not Carl? I don't fucking know what's going on. It's, it's bonkers. He did more travelling and working. Uh, Chile, Port Arthur, London, Glasgow, Paris, France, Germany. Yeah, so he's been about, hasn't yeah. he? Just imagine fucking chaos he's caused in all them places. Yeah. 
In 1920s, he broke into a future president's home, stole valuables and a 45 handgun, which he used later. Okay. With the money that he made from this break-in, yeah. he bought a yacht, which were called the Akista. And what he did is... So he, he, made a, he made a bit of money then, didn't he? Yeah. Not just a, a petty theft here, that's huge. And he used this yacht to go out and rape and rob people on other yachts. Oh my god. And then he'd kill him. He'd kill the staff that he hired for his boat. And then he'd throw the bodies in the ocean. Get rid of them, perfect of way. Them. Yeah. And Never in August, he, he lost his boat in a storm. Next, he served six months in prison for burglary and possession of a loaded weapon. So he's in prison again. He comes out of prison again, got another job as a foreman on an oil drilling rig. There, it's alleged he raped a young boy and bashed him to death with a rock. He moved to somewhere called Libido Way. He hired six locals to go crocodile hunting. And when they found the crocodiles, he killed them and fed them to crocodiles. So he killed the people and then fed the people to the crocodiles? Sake. Then he fled to Gold Coast, robbing farmers, more moving about. He was just all over. He, he was like a fucking rash, wasn't he? Summer of 1922, he's back in USA. His usual c- crimes, robbing, arson. He'd raped and killed two young boys. In 1923, New York, Larchmont. He got caught trying to rob a train depot and he was sentenced to five years in prison. He served time at the Clinton Correctional Facility. Apparently a brutal place. He, he says that the guards abused and tortured him. Well, I'm sorry, but at this point, fucking karma. But, yet again... Don't pa- tell me you escaped. Panzram tries to firebomb the workshops. <laughs> um, he tries to escape, and when he tries to escape, he breaks both his legs and ankles. And... Hurts his spine. They don't give him no medical treatment for 14 months, they allege. And in this so time... So he, he were left with two broken... Yeah. I think they sort of just patched him up and, like, that right. Okay. And it says in this time, he raped another inmate, even though he was in solitary confinement. How the fuck? Is he Udini? <laughs> <laughs> so, Panzram was released... He hated humanity, obsessed over mass murder. He wanted to poison water with arsenic and just right. kill as many people as he could. He still managed to do burglaries, even though he dirty his spine yeah. and he's recovered from breaking his legs and such. Um, he strangled a man in Philadelphia and he got arrested in Washington, D.C. And in that time, he was talking about killing kids to the guards. So, they contacted numerous authorities, see if there were any cases connected. Did they have a potential serial killer? Yes. In prison, there was, um, I think it was, uh, what's the word? Officer. A prison officer. Prison officer, uh, called Henry Lesser, and he pitied Panzram, gave him money for cigs and food. Uh, They became friends, and Panzram promised to tell him everything. For 
some pencils and paper and I'll tell you everything. Right. He wrote his autobiography, gave account of his crimes, his worldview, the American justice system, uh, the torture he'd been through for the guards. Um, so he came to trial, and at trial, Carl Panzram acted as his own defence. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. There's, there's very few. Yeah. That do it, but yeah. when they do, I just think you arrogant piece of shit. He got found guilty. <laughs> I wonder why. Sentenced to 25 years in Fort Leavenworth, Kansas. Okay. When he got there, apparently he read the rules issued by the warden and he said, quote, I'll kill the first man that bothers me, unquote. So... Then met Shaw, he worked alone, and he were kept to himself. Right. Um, in June 20th, 1929, Carl Panzram got hold of a heavy bar and beat to death his supervisor in front of the inmates, Robert Warren. So he killed his supervisor. Fucking hell. Highly violent man. He really is, isn't he? Yeah. Um, he went on trial April 14th, 1930. Acting in his own defence again. <laughs> uh, there, were, there were witnesses. He was found guilty. And he was sentenced to death by hanging. Okay. Now, Carl Panzram were overjoyed. Of course you are. He left the courtroom laughing. Do you know what? Being sat here listening, thinking, and the kind of person that he is, mm. that, that don't shock me. It's, it's got to come to an end, hasn't yeah. it? Yeah, and that the thing is as well, some of these people, especially when there's physically no stopping themselves, that is the only way to end it. Yeah. And they're quite relieved when it gets to that point, aren't they? I'm not saying this gentleman, you know, I know nothing about him, so obviously I'll have to look myself, but we have watched a few where I think it's relief. Yeah. At end. So leading up to his execution... There were a few groups uh, that were against the death penalty and they were trying to get his sentence reduced. Mm-hmm. And Carl Panzram actually responded to that with death threats to them. <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't laugh. So, September 5th, 1930, the executioner asked Carl Panzram any last words. Oh. And he says, quote, Yes, hurry it up, you... <laughs> Who's here, bastard? <laughs> I could kill ten men while you're fooling around. Unquote. Is that what he fucking said? Yeah. Wow. So, at 6.18am, he was pronounced dead, age 39, and he was buried in the prison cemetery. Another thing that Carl Panzram said. Quote, In my lifetime, I have murdered 21 human beings. I have committed thousands of burglaries, robberies, larcenies, arson, and last but not least, I have committed sodomy on more than a thousand male human beings. For all these things, I am not in the least bit sorry. Unquote. Wow. So, alleged number of victims prior to killing that man yeah. inside is guessed between 21 and 23. They're not all verified. Do you know, I'm I'm really shocked at this guy because he's only a young, a young guy. Yeah. That's 
I think probably one of the most persistent it started I've at, heard. It started at eight. And at fucking hell. I, can, I just look at our Travis and I just think, could you imagine him going out on fucking Rob? So I've got a list here. Okay. 1903-1905, he was at the Minnesota State Training School. Mm. Yeah. So alleged and unconfirmed is a 12-year-old boy that he could have killed there. John Moore, his teacher, he attempted to poison with rat poison. 1907, Montana State Reform School, attempted to kill someone but survived, struck on the head with a wooden board. 1908, uh, threatened a teacher with a gun. 1911, near Texas, robbed, gagged, tied to a tree, a man, and left there to die. It is unknown if the man survived. 1917, he attempted to shoot the chief deputy sheriff, Joseph Rum, in Oregon. 1920, 10 unnamed sailors, all drugged, robbed, raped, shot with a 45 pistol and thrown overboard. Um, 1921, Angola, an unnamed 11 or 12 year old boy, raped and bludgeoned with a rock. Where has he got this anger from? Like we said before, the six unnamed men uh, with the crocodiles, each one shot in the back and then once in the head and then fed to crocodiles. 1922, a 12-year-old boy confirmed, raped repeatedly and bludgeoned with a rock. June 27th, unnamed man shot twice in the head with a 38 pistol, allegedly killed him in self-defence when the victim tried to rob him. The coming July, unnamed boy confirmed, age and identity unspecified, raped and strangled with a belt. August, exact date of death, unspecified, 14-year-old, confirmed, gagged with a handkerchief and strangled with a belt. He's just so violent as well, isn't he? An unnamed guard somewhere uh, in the Clinton Correctional Facility attempted uh, to kill him but survived. A 14-year-old in Philadelphia confirmed, choked and fatally strangled. Then, while he was in prison, obviously he killed the prison officer and numerous inmates that is attempted to do God knows what. Before he got... Before I got home. Fucking hell. So that is a short and sweet yeah, story but he's of Carl fu- Pan's Ram. He's fucking relentless. Yeah. Wow. Well. I'm going to have a look at this guy. We've done episode 10. I know, it's a wrap. Well done. Fist bump. <laughs> we hope you've enjoyed it. Yeah, please do go have a look at the Johnny case. And I'd love to hear some theories. And I'm going to go look at your case. Give me something to do. Like us on social media. Terrifying and Twisted and on Facebook. Terrifying underscore Twisted on Instagram. Yep. We'll see you do. in two weeks. We will. See you soon. See ya.